This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul, also a supporter of SFF's Audio Patreon on patreon.com slash Audio. Thank you. That was unsolicited. Thank you, Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. <laughs> I didn't talk. know SF Audio had a Patreon. Well, we now just, you know. We just talked about it last week because my mom's been insisting that I should do that because I, I, I do give money to other people's Patreons. Um, I just don't want to be beholden to people, so now I'm beholden to Paul for the rest of my life. Or at least as long as he... As long as I support the Patreon. <laughs> um, and you have to have special members-only episodes. So. I, I'm going to talk... Well, uh, uh, first I'm going to tell us what uh, tell people who are still listening. Um, after they found out they, they could pay for this, they might reject the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> the Many Colored Land by Julian May is what we're going to talk about, a 1981 novel. Um the reason the uh, Patreon thing happened is because um, she said, uh, I'll do it for you. <laughs> and then she said, now you have to come up with rewards. And I'm like, I don't want to reward anybody for anything. I just, I just want to do podcasts. And, and uh, so the rewards, Paul, are um, uh, I think we would take suggestions from patrons. Oh. Uh, like that doesn't happen already. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, 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 the other thing was, I would be open for uh, chat. I guess, like once oh, a month. Like I do not already. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was thinking I could call it office hours. Like you know, like I just pick a time period because I, I don't expect anybody will need to talk to me. You know, uh, Evan, do you have office hours? I never, uh, I never. All day I, now. Yeah. Since I've been eating at school. No, but when, you, when, when you're in school, do you have like a time period when students can come to you? Is that how they do it there? Well, they're high school kids, so it's yeah. just like between classes. Okay. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's, uh, Evan, uh, uh, Evan's not a university prop, but at university. I used to be. I used to be. Right. At I, universities, I, I, they would have My career has been a slow decline from, <laughs> from university professor well, to, maybe just, to high school teacher to podcast. <laughs> See? You're ascending, not... It's not a decline; it's an ascension. Uh, in any case, I, I I went to university for sixteen years. I think I went to office hours like twice. <laughs> and the reason is, I I like classes. I didn't like talking to the to the profs about the stupid stuff that people would go to office hours for, which is, can I get an extension on my homework, or you know, essay or whatever. And I was like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want the ideas that you're thrown down in the classes um but every once in a while i would have to go like do that because i fucked up on some assignment or something i guess twice in 16 years or something like that anyways uh i will <laughs> offer some office hours these well, are not, not nowadays like, office hours are really dangerous you know you gotta have the door open you have to yeah yeah you know, like, there's a female professor within a certain distance and every so can do i was thinking oh do that on um on discord yeah, I, because Discord, it seems yeah. Discord seems like a good. I've been looking at Discord a lot more lately, but this is not what we're here to talk about. Paul, you derailed us. This this was derailed from the beginning that's today, Jesse. Blame me. Um, speaking of which, you were the one who suggested this book. I I did. Don't know why I agreed to it, considering I didn't know who the author was, and I didn't know what the book was about. <laughs> but I just like, yeah, sure. 
apparently. I'm not sure how I talked you into this, but I guess I did. May, may, you must have described the, the book a bit or something. I must have spoiled it for you. I'm pretty sure you I know, have, You must have, have, because that would have made me interested in it. And it did, uh, obviously. I just don't remember it at all. I also didn't remember. I'm pretty sure I listened to uh, Luke Burge's review for the Science Fiction Book Review podcast and completely forgot about it. And another thing I completely forgot about is that I actually wrote about Julian May uh, in 2012. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, while well, I was finishing off this book. Um, she wrote, uh, I guess it was on the Wikipedia entry I read about her. This is the author. Um, that she had left science fiction for a long time and then came back to it. And the reason she had left is because probably life stuff. But more importantly, she was a published author, very young, and then like 30-year gap almost before uh, that uh, she was she was publishing all in between. But uh, in science fiction, a 30-year gap between her first story and and this book. And that story is called The Dune Roller. And I wrote quite a bit about it. I dug out, the, I, I think it was in Astounding. Pretty, uh, maybe not. Oh, yeah, Astounding, December 51. Um, yep. I I got all the illustrations from it. There was an adaptation to uh, a show called Tales of Tomorrow and a movie called The Cremators. And it was like I, I did all this research and read up all about her and then completely forgot about her. And this week, not knowing anything about the, the author, I was like, Julian May looks like it's a dude, right? The spelling. But I'm pretty sure this book's written by a girl. <laughs> pretty sure. And and I also like, this book is really weird. And I was thinking, oh, this isn't a good book for a lot of the book. You know, reading it, I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's got, it's too, got too much. Go-. So I realized what, what's, what is this, this book is, Paul? It's what is this super book ambitious, but also kind of almost pulls it off, right? It's not, it's not a, she's not a great, great writer, but she has a great mind. And she was like, uh, it totally makes it, I thought this was like, came out of gaming because it feels and i thought this is much more mod like i thought this is like from maybe the 90s or the 2000s because this is very much a role-playing game style writing and throwing in everything this book is has everything in it right there it's and that's it's why ridiculous. that's why I love it, though, because it, it is a potpourri of all sorts potpourri of is it, it's an encyclopedia yo because, in fact, apparently that's what she was doing for a lot of that period. She was writing encyclopedia entries. And it makes total sense given how much time she spends on – there's so much stuff in here. It, it, if she was like a, you know, like a really talented writer, this would be a book not that's, you know, sort of has a select audience and people enjoy it. Um, it this would be on the scale – if she was like a really good writer, this would be on the scale – or a book like this by a person like her could be on the scale of uh, Tolkien. It, it's nowhere close to Tolkien. It, it, it's just not that great. But on the other hand, her brain was great. Totally. Full of, full of info. Right? And that's really the issue is it, it, it has it, – tell me one thing that this book doesn't do, okay? Because it's got time travel. It has space aliens. It has 
uh, galactic civilization. It has telepathy. It has uh, elves. It has portals. It, it has, has it has it has ancient fauna. It, it, it it's got all sort. Yeah, it's like dude. It has it has magic. It has clerics. <laughs> it has <laughs> fighters. It has it has. Um, it has, uh, it has the, and the other reason I thought you might have suggested it is we had just done um, that that uh, Sarban book. Uh, no, but I, I suggested it long before. Uh, yeah, Sound of it's interesting though, but because that has the um, uh, the Great Hunt. What's it called? The Wild Hunt. The Wild Hunt. Yes, it has and the Wild Hunt. This has the too. Wild Hunt. Like, mm-hmm. what doesn't this thing have? And it's way too much. She she kind of fucked it up because she's just bursting with ideas and she says i can explain everything and she tries yeah. right and she tries and she it's like wow that is pretty it's it's very ambitious this book and may, maybe maybe she, you know she can pull it all together in the end i'm not going to read the next book and the next book and the next book but nine more books it looks like yeah there's, there's, there's three there's three more books in the sequence and then she decided and I don't like them as much. She decided to go back and explain the events leading up to this book, basically, because we get in this book, we get hints of people like Jack the Bodyless and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so she she decides to, she wrote a few books actually explicating the intervention, and I don't it's like those. Like, as she much explains as this whippoorwills. Book. Like this is something Mr. Jim Moon did a whole show on the history of whippoorwills. Whippoorwills are really interesting. Uh, no, wait, they're not called whippoorwills. It's a uh, it's the light in the in the swamp. What's that called? It's not a will o' wisps. Will o' the wisp. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I'm saying whippoorwills. Whippoorwills are birds. <laughs> will o' the wisps are a very strange phenomenon that still doesn't have a good Wikipedia entry. Um, and Mr. Jimu did a huge show. You know the way he does with he's basically. I, I, I'm, he's one of the guys I give money to as a patron because he just. He's doing work that you should everyone should respect. Everyone should be like, "Oh my god, this guy, he's a treasure for our time." In the way that they, you know, seem to like George R. R. Martin most of the time. <laughs> or uh Tolkien or something like cuz he's just doing this great research and then he does a show that makes you interested and it follows through and he's he's super talented. In any case, um he did a really great show on Will of the Wisps. And I don't know much about them. I'd heard of them, didn't know much about them. They have a whole history, and she just tries to explain it here. And this is one of many, many Wiki, not Wikipedia, encyclopedia entries that, that basically knowledge that she's bringing and trying to weave all together into an explanation for how everything happened, right? I, I get the sense that the uh, death of all the megafauna is going to be caused by... <laughs> These people who are supposedly not able to actually change history. Um, they're, they're, they're more fulfilling lots of bits of history. I'm, I'm, it's I'm, ridiculous. Going to, I'm, I'm going to spoil the, the, uh, the other three books. Please do. I know you don't care. I, I Evan might care, but I don't care. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so if you notice, um, that in, in, the, at this point in the place in exile, the Mediterranean basin is empty. And mm-hmm. that surprised people. That surprised people. It 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 will turn out that a character will cause the Mediterranean Basin to 
um, Phil, and that is a catastrophic that event. Might be, that might be why uh, you suggested this book, too, because I think I, I talked about Down in the Borderlands. Maybe. Story. That might be why. Yeah, yeah, yeah because – yeah, because yeah, that, that story by Dr. Harry Turtle the, has a Mediterranean basin, which, which is uh, dry, and part of the plot that, is – See, that's a, that, that story is, is much better written. And much better at doing what it's doing. This one is so ambitious. He, she's doing everything, and I, I was. I, was I, mean, I mean, I mean, her, her. I mean, she's just interested in so many things. I mean, absolutely. She was bursting with it, and apparently, the way I was reading this on the Wikipedia entry, the way she uh, got the idea to write this book is she made a dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess for a convention, and, 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 and then tried to, to like, figure out where that. Yeah. Uh, figure out uh, who would have worn it and this is this is so funny because this is the uh, you know that's a a long tradition in science fiction going back to the first world con right of people making costumes of of characters from books but more importantly just future 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 people and so she makes she does the sort of the opposite of what they do at comic-con right where they dress up as characters from books she dressed up as a character and then made a book out of it (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's like whoa that went a long way to explain why this person's wearing this dress but um it's uh, did you know she wrote a book of about uh, the hyborian age about uh, no. Co- uh robert e howard's conan no i did not uh, it, the geog- geography of that wait, I, I think wait, it was a gazetteer yeah i think it was a gazetteer um, oh, 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 oh. I'll, I'll just type it into. Oh, there it is. The Gazetteer of the Hiberian War of ISFDB. Uh, yes, because oh, that wow. totally fits in with with what we've got here too. So, uh, Evan, are you super familiar with Robert E. Howard's Conan in the Hyborian Age? Not super familiar, but I, I know enough. Well, it's it's sort of an overlay of yeah. of Europe from ten thousand years ago rather than six million years ago, right? <laughs> But there's these legacy creatures, like there's a dinosaur, basically, and everything but name. They call it a dragon in red nails. And there's all sorts of uh, wizardry going on. And it can all be sort of retconned to be, oh, this is our world. It's just those things are less less around. It was just – it was before the – it was after the Atlantean – destruction but not uh, there was another yeah. there was another thing right so she's done that and she said no but with science right whereas howard doesn't care <laughs> he's just like yeah kush she, tries, she tries to rationalize it. she yeah. does she, uh, she so the, the, i i sent you guys this week a map of genre right that i'd found in oh, one of that my old map. folders yes and you were you were saying how it was <laughs> there was there were issues with it and maybe it'd make a good episode and I agree with you. Um, on the other hand, uh, what genre is this book supposed to be? Um, kind of in that map in that Venn diagram, <laughs> yeah. it's the pseudo science fiction, I guess. Yeah, that's that's where kind that's of... where it's at because it's, because because the psionics as magic sort of thing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but. Paul, I was going to ask, because you did read the other novels, so you can spoil this, too. I, I'm assuming, like, this is also the origin of all this folklore, right? Like the elves. Yes. And, Super yeah, obvious, I, right? Celtic mythology at all. totally I going mean, if, Yeah, if you re- read the Pliocene Companion, which is like her guide to this world. Yes, she wrote a whole book as a guide to these four books. Basically, she tries to map 
a ton of Celtic mythology and myths and dude. I knew as soon as the torque was introduced the that that's what she was doing. I was like, oh yeah. my god, why is she? And, got and this she, in she, here? she 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 goes into it. She, she she knocks them all the way down the line. All all the all these people have their have their parallels. This has and, Odin uh, in this. There's a, a there's a dude who has one eye. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> flying through the sky, um, and he's got like a. But, 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 but even even small things like Aiken Drum himself is. I mean, I learned a lot about Catherine mythology with some of the smaller bits I'd never heard of before mm. from this book because she because it's all in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I'm saying she's she was like too ambitious because you could do a whole book just on oh, one yeah, Aiken, aspect of any of you know, these like Aiken things. Drum is a popular Scottish folk song and nursery rhyme from 1715 about the Battle of Sheriff. This York. is the uh, this is what I'm saying. The reason this book is like this is because she was an encyclopedist, right? She was a person who is fascinated by stuff, perfect, uh, perfectly attuned to – this is the science fiction mindset, right? Like, wow, that's fascinating. I got to learn about it. And then you r- read a story about it and you go, wow, amazing, right? And then she says, I could explain this dress. <laughs> writes a huge book. I mean, it's, if this book was written today, right – uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 and it's only 415 pages, but it's a hell of a lot happening. It's yeah. super dense, and yet there are scenes that are repeated, and I'm kind of like, oh, she could have tightened this up. The, the, the number of times the prayers are repeated, and then there was um, La Belle d'Homme Sans Merci comes up twice. You don't need to do it twice. The reason it happens that yeah, way the is... Yeah, psychic interrogation, I think they did three times. Yeah, yeah. and the, the thing is... is I'm, it's yeah. actually incredibly dense, even though it feels very breezy. She is doing a ton of work to to put it put it all together, and then uh, the whole battle I, I, sequence. And try, and try, yep, and try to juggle, juggle timelines because the second book, the Golden Torque, like half the book takes place at the same time as this one, but it's from the other people who didn't who went south. Mm-hmm. So 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 we see what happened to them I and. See. How how they have how, uh, how he can drum in the rest of so I guess she, she planned on having the sec. I guess she sold the second book as soon as she I, sold her, the first. I, I think one. her plan was to have the two as one single volume. Oh, I see. First two as well. Oh, I think it did sell. I think they did make a a double volume uh, but yeah, later. But it's but it's kind of like it's kind of like a it's kind of like two towers in Return of the King and yes. like yeah. all these all these it, you can match up the timelines and it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And it's a pity that only this one ever got turned into audio. The other three did not. And what? that's a real shame. Huh. Yeah, it's a real shame. I have no idea why. That's insane. That is insane because people who read the, want more of I this. just assumed that the the other audiobooks no, were available. No, it's it's as frustrating as bleep. And the, yeah, the, the it, novel just seems sort of like an introduction. She must have been planning out the whole I don't know if she was planning out all ten novels, but Apparently not, but at least the first set. Now, if I, it was I, written I, today, I, I the whole this part. book would yeah. be three times longer <laughs> and mm-hmm. would have 17 sequels rather than, rather than three. <laughs> rather than three. Pro- probably. It would be way longer. It's, I, I was thinking, you know, when I found out it was, in, it was from 1981, I was thinking, wow, that's impossible. <laughs> so, eh. so. Dude, it feels uh, it feels so much like a role playing game book with all the it has all the character classes. It it does feel early nineties as far as it feels like ten years earlier than it 
quote unquote should have been because the, the ten years the later, big, you mean? Yeah, ten years later, because you know, I mean, I mean, this is before things like the Bulgariad and novels like that. I mean, this is only a couple of years after the post the uh, the Tolkien Renaissance, and you get stuff like Sword of Shannara and whatnot. This is only a few years after that, so this is really leading edge and really presaged a lot of things that we would see ten years down the line. But as yeah. you said, if it was written today, it'd be much longer, less dense, and many more books and it probably wouldn't see us all like this is the first of this saga and mm-hmm. but it, it's a pity she passed away in 2017 so i never got to meet her which is sad because i really love these books and yeah so what do you what do you make of the idea that uh her her name like i i i looked at her pseudonym list and i think it was all males mm-hmm um, and her name here, Julian, spelled uh, like the male way. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Uh, As, her, her, mother, first her mother's name was Julia. Yeah, so I her think, first. I, I think it's where the name came from. Yeah, but her first um, publication was as J. C. May, I think. Uh, and that you know, like, so it's it's. I I just I, I did a post about um, a weird tale story. Um, mm-hmm. That got uh, C.L. Moore excited. Um, it, this was basically a letter to Weird Tales. I think it was 1935. I just posted about it. And she said, I really love this story. Is she, is she a new writer? <laughs> and uh, turns out that he was a dude using a female pseudonym in Weird Tales. Only time he had done that. Um, the, I think genre expectations and genre... Um, there's something going on about the ge- uh, there's a lot of gender stuff in this book that oh yeah it, it oh, reminded yeah. me a lot of it, this is a lot like uh, Ringworld I don't know if you guys felt that but I was thinking mm-hmm. it's a lot like Ringworld it's a lot like Dream Park um and yet uh, the gender stuff isn't totally different but is really interested in gender in the same way that uh, any real science fictiony people from that period. We're interested in it. Like, it is really interested in yeah. women's sexuality, w- control and of reproduction, women's reproduction. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, uh, years before um, Lois McCaster Bujold was talking about replicators, and and this is long, long before um, Connie Wilson's even the queen. Yeah, here here we have characters who are really upset at the idea of becoming broodmares. That's that's. I mean, this is. Only, I mean, I guess if you think about seventies and authors like Pamela Sargent that that's in that sort of tradition. I think it's in the air, right? You know, just the fact that in the sixties they get the birth control pill and theoretically this changes everything and probably does really change everything in a way that allows women to do whatever the fuck they want. Um, and not worry about biology in the way that they had to before. Right. And being thrust into a world where suddenly, no, you're, 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 you're you're going to give, give babies to the town. It's like, what the bleep? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And she really goes there, right? She goes – a lot of the plot is about that. And this this book has so many expectations. Like when you get the setup, you got the premise. And then you get there and it's, oh, well, that wasn't – as I think Luke was saying on his podcast, uh, that wasn't the book I signed up for, right? He thought all these characters are going back in time and they're going to live in caveman times. That's what they thought too, right? Yeah. I mean, aside from the opening prologue where you see the crash, it's like you think, oh, they're going to go back in time. They're going to have all these 
all these uh, prehistoric adventures roughing it in the wilderness. That's right. And that's what they all think. And no, fighting off Smilodons and. I was. That's where I really. That I really enjoyed that first part, the Galactic Milieu stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to oh, check out those novels she wrote. I was really into the novel then, and then, you know, well, well the, the other later, novels kind of slowed down for me. But you know what? What novel really reminded me of? What's that? We is Red Mars in a way. Yeah, like, you mentioned that, that part because have you guys read that? I have yeah, not. Oh yeah, Kim Selling Arpson. Yeah. yeah, I've read the Third this, book. You got kind of the misfits or this kind of motley crew of, of people. This is a lot more motley than in Red Mars, though. Um, <laughs> that's dude. That's straight out of Ringworld. Louis Wu and, and his motley crew. And then they go to this other world, and then you're you have a blank slate, right, to create something new. And that's mm-hmm. the really the theme Robinson focuses on in Red Mars is we have a chance here to create, like, we can actually put it. We can put into effect all our utopian dreams without the baggage of human society and human history bearing us down. And that's the main tension in that novel. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and you know, that's what I was kind of looking forward to seeing. I knew there were the aliens there because I, I read the Wikipedia a little bit. And of course you had that prologue and I was kind of hoping for that. I was kind of hope, waiting for that utopian aspect of it because something that struck me in the early part of the novel is that there's something, I don't want to say reactionary, but I was, I was kind of trying to, What's this woman's politics? Because there's a lot of rather conservative elements where you have like these ethnic enclave planets in the galactic milieu. Mm. Yeah. Where people want to like live out these these old cultures. You know, it, it's kind of actually almost reminded me of I thought of Transmetropolitan, how you had if you guys read that comic. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. all of these reservations for all these different historical cultures as backward, patriarchal, violent or whatever as they might be. Like, there's even like a Mayan civilization where they still do human sacrifices and that. And that's what I could imagine with this galactic milieu that you had all these different people who basically want to live in their kind of franchise version of, a, of an ideal past, you know, on these different planets. But then you have these people going back to the Pliocene where they can maybe, you know, I was kind of what kind of society would these misfits create? And then, uh, too bad. There's already a slave <laughs> society there to. Here's me. here's what yeah. it totally reminded me of. It's it's okay. Bunch of people sitting around the table, rolling up their characters, writing up their backstories. They're going to go on an adventure, and then the DM says, "Ha ha! Switched you. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going to go, but it, it, dude, this has random encounters." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're walking down. You're, you're on the back of some uh, animal, and you might get attacked by uh, some weird animal. And then there's like a mighty empire that needs to be brought low. It oh. also uh, it reminds me of so many books. Um, it, it's it's very much like River World too, in a certain sense. Everybody yeah, gets because they, yeah because oh, you yeah. get that long trip along the river, and, and you meet all these sort of uh, famous characters, right? They're, everybody's yep. interesting, and. I was saying, you know, it's like Ringworld. It, it, the the big dumb object here is Earth, right? Um, it, it, it's the Earth of the, of the Pliocene. That's yeah, right. is the big is the is the big dumb object, complete with strange fauna, a Mediterranean that's that's dry. It has and, a lot of and, stuff. And, and a real life giant crater in 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 a in a Central Europe that the that the plot revolves around. I mean. It has so, rejuvenation, yeah. just like Ringworld does too, right? Everybody gets uh, when they get old, they just get rejuvenated. Yeah, um, 
It has, uh, I think, Ringworld has psychic vampires that can do it with pheromones. It's it's uh, harder yeah, science yeah, fiction yeah, there. Yeah, there's a race. The, the psychic shit, uh, uh, dude. I was I was being thrown so many times with the psychic shit. That it's like, why are we talking about this shit from Astounding that made no sense at uh, the time? I and the reason I, is. Paul and Evan, as we were talking about before the podcast, because in those periods of time, they didn't know that shit was totally discredited and to- bullshit. I- they and didn't I- know. I- they didn't know that yeah. psychic shit was bullshit. They thought, and oh, I- it might be real. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, I think these are the last novels that really go for psychic Psychic, psychic says psychic powers as a as a major element in the book for a long time. The first time I encountered that was that that, that whole parapsychology was in uh, the original Ghostbusters, where he uses it to try and trick girl <laughs> uh, trick girls but, into dating him. Right? Yeah, but 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 that, but, that, but that's uh, yeah that that that's deconstructing and showing it's fake. I mean, this is these are like the that's, last that, science but that's the last that gasp. Yeah, yeah, that's the last gasp of it as being a phenomenon. And notice if you remember the original Ghostbusters, they're discontinuing his research because it's bunk. Yes, <laughs> and the and the whole point is is it, it, uh, we were talking before the podcast started about uh, a guy at Emory University who used to work in remote viewing, right? And he, now he has a job as an English teacher. <laughs> well, uh, remote viewing was something the government tried desperately to get going, right? Get that money going because if we can just do this, we won't need to s- send satellites into space. We just have a guy, you know in a room at, in Langley and we bring him a sandwich and say, Hey, what's going on in Russia? <laughs> it would be great if it was true. And that whole idea of, 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 we knew it was discredited in the fifties. No, 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 they didn't know they were idiots. And yes, we are all idiots because even if you have an instinct that it's bullshit, if a new story comes out, you know, we see this all the time with, with, um, like, Coffee, is it good for you or bad for you? New study comes out. Coffee's bad for you. New study comes out. Coffee's good for you, right? We get this back and forth, back and forth of what, you know, one study says. The only way to tell is to look at it from a historical perspective years later and say, oh, it's clearly phlogiston was bullshit. (laughs) There's no such thing as phlogiston. Why are they talking about phlogiston all the time? Phlogiston, by the way, is, for anybody who doesn't know, is... The discredited yeah, they, they, theory of that is replaced by what we now call oxygen. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know what. Uh, they didn't know what ether oxygen was. So they said uh, when when you put a frog under a uh, under a, a glass jar and it dies. See what happened was the air inside the jar was deflagisticated. <laughs> You idiots! It was well, oxygen that, the whole time. Yeah, but they didn't. But the oxygen that's my point. Wasn't known they didn't. At the know, time. Somebody had to figure it out. Yeah, so. Priestley. Yeah, I know there was a couple other people and it, also. And did. it didn't. Uh, same thing. Uh, even uh, this book is gr- great for this, and that's why she is so encyclopedic. Being it makes it work, even though it's kind of clunky. Is that in, in reading the Wikipedia, or, or I'm saying Wikipedia, an encyclopedia entry? Over a period of time, there was a time when the uh, plate tectonics theory was totally not what people were accepting. They just said it was bullshit. And the guy who came up with it completely discredited it, couldn't work, 
<laughs> and then as time goes by, they say, oh, shit. Well, yeah, this he, he data didn't have a me- seems to yes, line up with... He didn't have a mechanism for it. I mean, he had the right theory, but the wrong reasons, because well, we didn't he, know enough about geology he to was actually lo- but he was understand lo- about subduction. He was looking of, at the Earth. Crust. Yeah. No, it, what he didn't have was the the data to back it up. What he had was a really good theory. And they said, get the fuck out of here. You have you don't have the right degrees, and your data you don't have data to back it up. Well, it turns out he was just like way ahead of his time and if he had had a big budget like a lot of these guys did he could have done that shit but there's no way to know at the time right if you're reading books at the time i don't think uh, lovecraft knows anything about plate tectonics doesn't ever mention it nobody mentions it but this book is totally about plate tectonics right yeah, they, 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 I didn't re- remember or realize just how much geology there is in this book, but it's just one of the many things she throws in, like about about the composition of the mountains mm-hmm. and the origin of that crater. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I, the I whole premise of the book so that this, this gate can only be here, this time gate can only be here because of geology, right? Of Are, of how, you know, everywhere else in the world is all moved around. She, she really, this is... This is why I stopped reading that new DC comic uh, called the, the Last God. I got to the end of the issue and I said, oh, this is well written. Then I looked at the map and I, I think I sent this to you on Twitter. I, right? Did you? I think so. And it basically it has rivers coming out of the forest and, and then they see it. splitting, yes. Uh, yes, I, I hate like, that with a bash. Like, that's not how we're. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a planet? <laughs> have you ever seen a river? Yes. No, they yeah, haven't. Said, They've seen I other maps and Alex. they. The geologists exactly. say they went like, "What the heck is going on here?" It's like, <laughs> no, it doesn't work. They don't. They don't know what they're doing. And if they don't know what they're doing, how can they do a good job? What's amazing is she's doing everything, and she did a pretty good job, even though it it is it's oh, it's just stuff. too ambitious. It's I, I, it explains everything, Paul. I, I know. I know. I know that there is a lack of mystery. She wanted to explain it all in the grand. She had so many degree. ideas. Like, wouldn't it be cool if, right? And it's like, yeah, it would be cool. But that's one book. <laughs> Why are you but, doing all of them? But, but like, like I mean, you can you can see where this is all going. I mean, by by the fourth novel, you can see that the the Tanu basically interbreed with humanity enough that they provide the the genes for metapsychics in the. Oh, yeah, okay, in the that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, you can figure it out from the first book, but by the fourth book, that's explicated that that's what's going to happen to Tanner. They're going to diminish and disappear. Sound familiar? Hello, fairy? And yeah, yeah. Based- I, was, I was saying there's a sequence where they meet these people who've been living in uh, caves that are full of uranium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're saying, well, the, mutations. Reason the reasons you're so mutated is because of all this radiation. You're going to have to totally change your lifestyle in order to not be mutants. Um, and I was like, oh, these are goblins. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then, I mean, yeah, there's a change or die. But, they're not, but see, they're not just Tolkien goblins, Paul. Get this. They're also uh, Dante Rossetti goblins. What's her name? Um, Goblin Market. Yes, because yeah. because they can't Did you notice illusions. That? Yeah, yeah. Th- th- there's a whole there's a whole very like goblin market, goblin king sort of court sort of sequence that we have in the book, and, and it's wonderful. Uh, Christina I, Rossetti, you know that poem. Christina Rossetti, yes. Yeah, I know that. But uh, what's so great about it though is is that they're both right. They're talking goblins in that they're mute, horribly mutated, but they can also 
change their appearance to look like all sorts of different animals, like with beaks and and that's how they're described. That's the weird thing about goblin market is they don't look like Tolkien goblins, like little, I don't know, mutated green guys, right? right. They're they're every kind of one looks like a bird and another one looks like a uh, I don't know a beaver, <laughs> and 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 they what are they tempting her with is fruit, which we get that in this too, right? With the uh, uh, one of these semi-human pre-human creatures coming up with a plate full of fruit. Yep. And then uh, what do they want from her? They want her to be a breed mare for her, a brood mare for their reproduction, which, you know, is all mutated. They want to, that's the exact plan. It's, she's doing everything. She, uh, Julian May is a, is a vast reader of all this stuff, right? And she loves it all and she wants to include it and explain it all and bring it all together and she and she really really tries and it it mostly works, and that's pretty impressive. So that even though I was like, "Yeah, this book is not for me," a lot of the time I was listening to it, I was like, mm. "But she is is very ambitious book." I can see why people got into it, but I also see why it isn't like like it wasn't super well known. I'd never heard of it. I heard about, I got to hear about it not when it was published, but it was in the early nineties or um a friend of mine uh, because we were talking about role playing games, says so like, Well, you should read these books. Yeah, I'll they're read, very okay. much role playing games books, aren't I I'm surprised there isn't one. That 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 they never made a GURPS uh totally. saga Pleistocene exile? Yes, they should have definitely I mean, it's a it's a pity on that. Now she's passed away. That that those rights probably who knows ever belong to it. But there there's I mean there is the Pliocene Companion book, but that's not actually a role playing game. But yes, you could definitely lift large portions of this and and make a role playing game out of it using any system you it's, want. It's basically designed for role playing. Given you know you make your you have your character creation, you send somebody back through the gate, right, and then. Their stats and all that stuff is amplified when they get their torque. Well, right. as, 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 assuming they have numbers, and they even do have like stats for those different. See, like yeah, those uh, different abilities. Those, it's, those it's different very abilities. Role. Like, I, I don't think she. I mean, she's she would have been a little old to be playing Dungeons and Dragons uh, when it just came out in like seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty. It was that kind of role playing. In the community, even before Dungeons and Dragons, because there was lots of, lot, lots of uh, larping. <laughs> well, well, there was that. I mean, it was in the. I mean, it goes all the way back to like the camp and pool Anderson and the SCA and stuff. So yeah, was she, but so the, so, so it was def- definitely something she would have been connected with. It's larping, not not uh, tabletop, no, right? No, not tabletop. Yeah. yeah, maybe not rolling dice, but larping. Yeah, so. So so so, so this comes out to be a role playing game, yeah. Very I, much I, so. I can see how she was thinking about. I that. I could totally have seen like if you had said this was based on a campaign. I mean, it, it's almost like those Dungeons and Dragons ones where there's Planescape or, you know, the other ones. What's a Dark Sun sort of thing? Like where you've got, it's it's the Dungeons and Dragons rules and there's magic and there's also, also steampunk. What was the space eighteen eighty 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 nine. Yeah, Spelljammers. Spelljammer, that sort of spell thing. Spelljammer, right? going to Where they bring it all together, yeah. And, yeah, Planescape is what, where you can go to Planescape hell. Is all, yeah, go to heaven, hell, and other planes. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, this is big. Yeah, this is yeah. Like yeah, you could use this as a spell jam for spell jammer for sure. It feels like it could have come out of that, but the but it's so grounded in in the geology too. She, in the geology, she, the must have, she must have wrote a an uh, encyclopedia entry for the pilocene, right? I mean, she 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 wrote some nonfiction books. No, well, they're more like juvenile fiction back in, back in the sixties. I said Pliocene. So, it's Pliocene. Pliocene. So she she definitely had had the chops in the history of writing this sort of thing. So, but it it it, it's, it doesn't feel like a first novel in that it's got too much going on, and she, it, and yet you know it's it's not her first novel exactly. It's her first science fiction novel, right? Because she had right, written, right. she had written a ton before that, and you can see it's very polished in many respects. But it's also, it it really is very much of its time, in, given that you've got all these other books that are like you can see that she's reading science fiction and she's a fan of science fiction, mm-hmm. right? I'm gonna put everything. I love about science fiction and fantasy and history and geology and mythology. Yeah, it's not outsider science fiction. It's it's somebody who is really into it, and it says, "Here's my take." And 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 the fact that she's really obsessed with setting it in the oh, the Pliocene. In in the Pliocene, and and there's, I mean, the, I mean that that alone. I mean, I mean, I know, I know, I know, Evan was hoping for that, but I mean, just strip strip away the Tanu and the fur. And the fair of log and all that stuff. Just, just the geology and the and the ecology of the Pliocene is something that you don't see a lot in fancy in fantasy or science fiction novels or in general. I mean, the the, part, the public consciousness is like, okay, you had things crawl out of the ocean. We had dinosaurs; they died. Exactly. The mammals mammals came along. We don't pay attention to them. Then we had. Mammoths Only mammoths, and, and then we're that's done. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I mean, bear the bear dogs did. Hyenas the size of lions. These are all real things that yeah, really totally. existed, and people and I and you can even see it like in the in museum. People skip all that stuff and go look at the dinosaurs. She and, revels and, in and, it. She, and, and the and the giant and the giant sloth gets left all by its lonesome. I'm looking at it and like you deserve better, dude. Did you did you guys see that story? I just say that when I was a kid, I was all into the Cenozoic. I wasn't one of the dinosaur kids. I appreciate that, Evan. My <laughs> books were all in the Cenozoic. I mean, I had a few dinosaur books, but I was... <laughs> dinosaurs I, get all I the press. I'm a, I was a Silurian guy myself. <laughs> but, no, but like you, like, you go, like you go to the White River Badlands, which is the Badlands in South Dakota, and those formations are 30, 40 million years old. And so you have all those... All the Cenozoic fossils and nothing else. There's no dinosaurs there, just, but there's plenty of other mm-hmm. fun stuff to find. Not everything has to be about dinosaurs, and I, I, I really exactly. like that. And in fact, this is this is uh, sort of getting back to what we were talking about before the podcast, right? It's like when people think about <laughs> about ancient uh, life on Earth, they only think dinosaurs. They never want to talk about about trilobites and dinosaurs. Uh, trilobites. They, I love trilobites. Me, I love me some ferns, yo. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, uh, did you guys see there's a story about uh, – it was on Twitter, I think, and probably in the news – about uh, these giant tunnels that uh, – Yes, uh, that yes. Giant but sloth actually, tunnels that are huge. 
Well, actually, actually, that that was original story back in 2017, and and you're gonna laugh just just because we've been talking role playing games. I saw those, saw those giant tunnels. Like, I can put that into the role playing game See? I play with my friends on weekends, and I did. Except instead of making giant sauce, I made them giant bear sized aggressive armadillos, but with those tunnels. <laughs> and and the players were terrified when they ran into. I was like, oh my god, run! <laughs> They actually did kill a couple of them, but the, uh, I made them purposely dangerous and tough because I saw those tunnels and was like, I could use that. It's, uh, these giant tunnels in it's like sandstone or something, and then there's the scratches that are huge and they're not tooled, right? <laughs> but yep. they're it's like, how did how did this get made? Uh, the theory is uh, giant sloths, and they're yep. living in them for centuries. It's like, wow, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. That's crazy stuff that the dinosaur lovers, yeah, just miss all that, miss all that fun stuff. That's uh, that's 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 the excitement of science fiction is is saying what uh, again, like what H.P. Lovecraft is saying. You know, the the size of the universe. If this doesn't, if this doesn't, isn't something you think about every day. Poor you. It, the age of the universe. If this isn't something you think about. Every day, sad story for you, because this is fundamental to how you should understand reality. And you say, but uh, I have this relationship I'm trying to have with my brother, who was mean to me as a child, and I'd like to heal that. And he waves his hand, he says, no, dude, you can't believe how big the universe is. You can't believe how many ages of the Earth. And and we have that scene where she... she, she uh, was it the nun lady? She's riding on the back of some giant creature and she thinks back to when she was a little girl and she was so sympathetic with the poor donkey climbing out of the... Uh, right, that she of, hurt herself, yes. Out of the uh, Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon. That she, she was in sympathy with it and she was sad the whole way home. Meanwhile, everybody else is happy because she's in sympathy with the animal um, it, it had this hard trip down and now it has worse. It has this giant trip back up. Yeah. They even mentioned the great unconformity in that bit. I love that. She the really Vishnu spends yes. so much time thinking about the geology and then there's overlaid over all of this. There's also, oh yeah, there's a plot with an empire that needs to be overthrown. And that all reminded me of, uh, HP Lovecraft's The Mound, which Again, seems like, oh, so I'm going to go. I, I was really disappointed with that book when I read it because I thought I, I was, it was like this. I was expecting it to be one thing. It turned out to be another thing. There's this, <laughs> there's this ghost that haunts a mound in a certain place. The guy goes to investigate. He finds a document that tells about another guy who went in to investigate who finds a whole civilization underneath the earth. And it's basically... Uh, Lovecraft's Utopia, <laughs> except really weird and maybe not so utopian. Maybe it's a dystopia, and then that's the end of the story. It's like, what? <laughs> that's not what I want. I signed up for a ghost that haunts a tomb. I thought it was going to be some monster, and yeah, there was a monster, but it wasn't what I signed up for. Um, this is like that, except ten thousand times bigger, right? She really packs in. I mean, she never she never says it's the wild hunt, right? But it's obvious what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, she never says, you know, these are elves or you know whatever, but or fairy. 
Exactly. But she hints at it greatly. And it's, that's what I'm saying. It's too ambitious in that she, she really doesn't, she almost doesn't leave any room for anything, anything else. There's like, there are no traditions that didn't start with this. <laughs> Nothing in Europe anyways. I, I, I am astounded at how ambitious this book is. I don't think there's like Ringworld's a, a, a big dumb object book. And it's very ambitious. He sets up, you know, he's using aliens from other books, and he's got he's got all sorts of ideas that he's working on, like uh, what is luck? Let's talk about that. Uh, what what if you have a culture that is based on fear? What would their motivation be? Right? He's got he's got like five or six major themes. I don't. I can't. I can't. Uh, she probably does need that whole book to explain all the things that she's trying to tackle. I I I lost I, I I lost count. There's at least twenty things, right, that she's dealing with and trying to think about, and trying to juggle and trying to make sense and rationalize. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I think that the juggling is pretty good, other than you know repeating herself a couple of places. Uh, you know that could be fixed with. I. It's just super ambitious, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, in a way, like if you if you read Lord of the Rings. He loves the he loves the forests and he lo- but he doesn't invent whole new trees generally like he'll invent a race but the rest of the trees are oaks and right she's taking all of this pliocene stuff <laughs> and then she throws in rejuvenation uh and uh metapsychic stuff and she she has this term I- operant and I was, yes. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh God, this is." And there was a whole part of the book where I was thinking, "Oh God, this is, this is, um, it's just techno babble," and it, it's sort of the worst kind of science fiction techno babble, where you know somebody's describing what what the ship is doing, or and that word "operant" is that'd be like I don't know, it'd be a major word in the role playing game, you know. Like her operancy or whatever level, because it's it, well, it's, it's a real tough. it's a real word. Op- oh, I know, but she's using it. She's using it as sort of a uh, is it is a real word. As a, yeah, yeah, as a skill level. But like the how, way initiative is, you know, like initiative today for for you and me, and I don't know if Evan feels the same way because maybe it's not a big yeah, role player. But initiative has a whole set of connotations that it doesn't have if you're like just a regular person walking down the street who's never heard of a role playing game, right? Initiative means something different than it does. <laughs> they would say that's to do with business or something. <laughs> Starting your own business, a Republican talking point or something, right? <laughs> Whereas uh, initiative to Paul. Is it's a the basis of you know every every move you're gonna make every every round or whatever. So yeah, it, it feels like there's there's a, a almost especially with the with the telepathy and the range of parapsych parapsychological powers. She she put all that in there so she could have that big boss fight at the end. Or it's not a boss fight. I guess it's a war. It's a war. Yeah, 
because, a, because, because, because she even has like a ticking time on. We have we have to destroy the city before the truce begins. Yeah. So we gotta hurry up and get this done. Otherwise there'll be a truce and we will lose our chance. So she, she has like a that ticking clock, which I like yeah, I had forgotten about big, the ticking clock. I'm not clock. a big it's fan like, of oh. the big fights at the ends of books like we get with every every Marvel movie and and uh, even a whole third of <clears throat> last third of the Lord of the Rings, I'm like, eh. Last third of the Hobbit, eh? Don't don't care about these battles, but it's still pretty good. I'm impressed, Paul. I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I I know it's not a perfect book, but it's one of the books that speaks to lots of strings of what I like. So it may not do all those things as well as one might like, but it does a lot of those things. So it's like. I mean, it's like it, I don't use the food metaphor again. It's 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 like the it's like like wonderful stew. Like, oh, here's some potato. Oh, here's some meat. Oh, here's a tasty carrot. It's like it's got it all for me. It's like I could just. I mean, I wish the other three were on audio because yeah, I would go right out and listen to them again. Mm-hmm. But it is a pity that they are not. More the pity, Evan. You've been really quiet. Yeah, well, I didn't finish it. Oh, that's because you didn't finish. Only the first ten hours or so. <laughs> it's sixteen oh, hours. It, that, yeah, it it is a sixteen hour, four hundred twenty page book. So I this might be a with, longer, with, longer with, books we did by yeah. SF Audio, and that I should have thought of that. It was pretty short for me. I mean, I read the I read the Neil Stevenson stuff. Well, yeah, and, and sure. King stuff. So I, um, I wanted to direct people who uh, maybe are interested in it to that. Uh, story dune the dune roller i think it's just dune roller um yeah yeah so it's it was like it was well received at the time i think uh it was republished a couple of times but the i remember it being very interesting and and different um basically it's a couple living on like an isolated oh here i'll just read the thingy on an isolated island in lake michigan a uh, visiting ecologist discovers an unknown mineral that's been linked to a local legend of a ravenous creature. So it's basically the discovery of a of a uh, new kind of life form, and it's got sort of that it's it's sort of got a gothic setup. You know, there's a house far away from civilization, and there's a local people, and a scientist comes in, and and it's like what's what's going on, and it's like it, it also it felt like different. And I don't think that's just because uh, she's... I, I love she, the illustrations. I'm looking yeah, it's good, at the, right? The November 9, 2012 entry here on SFL Audio. Jesse talks about that story. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and there's, and a, that, there's that, a movie and there's a TV adaptation that's still available. Um, I, didn't, I don't think I've watched the movie. But uh, it is... You, you call it abominable. Well, in, no, in, I'm in quoting someone else. I, I don't think I had oh. seen it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I heard the audio dramatization that was available through this torrent service, but that's gone. So it's probably out on YouTube somewhere. But I just I thought it's like I don't I don't normally um, I would it's, normally it's, have followed up with this, but the, she didn't have much. She I think she only wrote like three or four stories before she quit science fiction. To do regular work, maybe have a life yeah. and stuff, or in the sense that she quit writing science fiction, she got busy writing other stuff. Um, but coming back to it, uh, she obviously had a ton of pent up, you know, 
ideas that she wanted to talk about, and it just came out in a flood, a huge geologic size flood. Yes, What's your favorite, flood. Jesse. What's your favorite of all these ideas? This is so much. I yeah, think what, what I like? think just spending time, like I, I really liked spent spending time in the period. Um, so when when she goes through the black forest, when they go when they go through the black forest, uh, the characters like they all blend together for me. Um, but when they're the description of all the different uh, mushrooms and how they all start getting like different kinds of diseases based on, or not diseases, I guess reactions to the the spores. And when the, by the time they're getting out of the black forest, they're like all itchy and stuff growing in their ears. <laughs> and it's like it was a, almost a description of Hansel and Gretel time. You know, it was very mm-hmm. um, yeah. I think that was probably supposed to be there, too. It was very uh, Brothers Grimm, um, given, given that. You know, it's not really the Black Forest, even if it's in the same place. <laughs> it's not, you know, they're separated by, it's separated by so much period of time. I, I, w- I wanted to go to Doggerland. I was looking at that map you sent, Paul. Yeah. And Doggerland uh, is up there. I mean, it's not called Doggerland, but, uh, but Albion, yeah, dog, dog. Albion is connected to uh, France and what would be France, right? Yeah. It's. Uh, I like the. I like the geology of it. So yeah, that would be my most interesting. I think part of it. Yeah. I, was, I was really interested in the some of the issues of power in. In this, I mean, you got this, these these misfits in various with different weapons and armor, just like you said. Yeah. Different role playing characters. Yeah. Um, but they can't live in their world, right, for various reasons. Well, they so, choose not to. They're murder hobos. They're murder hobos. They are player characters. Yeah. Like, I, I love that, that guy, the, the first who, he like fails out of all the schools, all his tests, or he can't be socialized, right? Right. And he's given a choice of euthanasia or life imprisonment. And, or, you know, yeah, he yeah, 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 taking Trump. And he says, like, like, nope, I'm going to pick up exile. Sorry. But of course, they, they go immediately to a slave society. Right? Yeah, but that's what reminds most me. Most of the of humans seem okay with that. I mean, our characters, you know, they're in this, you know, they have to overthrow the empire or whatever. You know, they end up in a position of resistance. But, but how do you then take, if all you're getting, if you're this society that's looking to enslave these people who get these enhanced psychic abilities when they come through, I mean, they're all the misfits, so they're the least likely people to accept, you know, those hierarchical, hierarchical society that they're thrust into. So one reason I really got to finish this, I want to see, explore more of how that is, that's worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the, the core element that's being, that has to be controlled is this, these abilities, this psychic ability. That's their main interest is enslaving that. I mean, everyone else is just laborers or whatever, right? Right, but, right. If you, if you wear a great torque, you're a nobody, mm-hmm. really, for, for most intents and purposes. It's only the silver torque. And if you're, <laughs> me think- if you really love the... Yeah. Why did she go? Why did she go with gray? Because uh, uh, I, I almost thought that she was doing Plato as well with the uh, Plato's Republic. They have the the gold and the silver and the gray, and it was about their blood. Do you guys know uh, what I'm talking about? Right. I also think she's thinking like ages of uh, humanity, the golden age, the silver age, the iron age. So I right. think she's going but with it that. There should have been bronze, right? Um. 
so like in Plato's Republic, there he's basically he's he he's the original racist. <laughs> See, there are certain people <laughs> who are just naturally better. <laughs> but yeah. he will perhaps allow movement between the groups, but the silver are the guardians. They're basically the cops and the functionaries, right? And then there's the golden dudes. Of course they're the philosophers. And then at the bottom, they're the plebs, the guys. Who the plebs. The we were talking about the TV series work. Spartacus a couple of weeks ago, or right, was that right. last? Week? Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of how the Romans maintained their slave society was yep. these different ranks and hierarchies within have, it. And if have, you read the, you know, I got that, I got this book, all the documents about the Spartacus Rebellion, and also about Roman slavery and. You know, there's all these guidebooks, like basically how to manage your slaves. And I was like, yeah, you got to give <laughs> some wives and, you know, they'll become like the master among the slaves and all that. That's, right. that's the stuff. You, I was thinking a lot about that when I was reading this. Have well, any of you read – go ahead. And I'm sorry to bring this up, but I, I've been reading so much King lately. Um, you know, one thing that's – I think like in the adaptations of Carrie – one thing that's never there in the adaptations of Carrie is – have you guys read that book? I have not. I haven't read the book. I've just seen the book. Yeah. In the adaptations, it's just the story of prom night or whatever. But the novel itself is a it, – it's kind of a broken up with these uh, fragments of the aftermath, like books that were written in the aftermath, hearings by the government in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And the whole gist of all these is we got like – we got to control women. Because uh-huh. another Carrie White can be born, right, and she can really fuck us up, right. If if this kind of power is unleashed, and this is back to the context of gender, right? This is after Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. you know, after the second wave feminism, where women are saying it's not enough to have the vote; we have to have control of our bodies, our careers, our, our you know, our marital lives, and you know, you have those, those two novels are written around the same time. This mm-hmm. is eighty one. Carrie was what seventy six. It really was in the air. Dealing with like the controlling of women's bodies, and here in both those novels, it's these psychic powers. In that novel, it's telekinesis. Um, And then King wrote another novel not long after that, Firestarter, which it's it's all about the government trying to control this young girl who has this ability. And again, it's it's presented as really really dangerous, something that's going to mess us up if it's not totally controlled. And that's actually like King never dropped that theme of the, you know, the desire of states to control anyone who is exceptional or to put them into the system in a way. It's in Dark Tower, even in his new novel, The Institute. Hmm. It's in The Running Man. Yeah, it's it's comes up so much. I mean, he's written more stuff about psychic kids than he's written horror, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's um, I was thinking a lot about that stuff. That was my favorite theme in the two-thirds of the novel that I got through. You, Paul? Um, did, 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 um, I, 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 I could cheat and just say, yes, it was the geologist like you, but I also liked how, how the fact that she, she, she tries to make a rationalization of Celtic mythology, yeah, history, folklore, and, and, and goes to comprehensive lengths to actually make it all make sense. Like, oh, here's the antecedents of everything – the, he, he, here's here's the here's the dark fee. Here's the light fee. She, she here's why they diminished. She, here's how how all the names all line up. I mean, <laughs> she goes to comprehensive lengths to try to try to connect every single dot she can. Maybe maybe to an obsessive role playing encyclopedia degree, but it's like 
I mean, I I didn't know. About At least myself. she said it in Europe. That that, that was the, like I was thinking if if she tried to set it all over the world and have it all be about these Celts. Because if you look at the book covers, it's got this lady with a a torque, right, golden yeah. torque. I was like, why is this the focus? It's because she thought they were cool. She said, "Oh my God, these torques are really cool." What what if? <laughs> and then she had this whole elaborate thing, right? And it's cool, but six million year gap is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's well, like okay, well, yeah, well, yeah, and and it comes it comes out that six million years when you get to the novels that are set before the intervention in on Earth that yeah the the centers of psychokinetic power are basically Celtic lands and areas around the Caucasus. So yeah, she 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 basically oh. yeah she basically points out yeah the, the, as I said before that the Tanu are basically going to help make or going to fulfill the destiny by help making man psionics. It's, it's, I would I, I would almost like uh, I would like to have this as a series of books written by people. I I mean I'm asking for this, but I'm not really. I'm just thinking about it. You know, um, I would like to see an uh, Aboriginal one for Australia. Because I'm I, I'm big in you know I really think that Dreamtime is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you can't do Golden Torx because <laughs> that's not what they're doing there. But they have uh, similarly hugely rich history, and uh, it's not as like here in BC and you know Canada's huge. So and we have all these mountains separating people. So we have m- many more different kinds of mytholo- mythological systems and they're all separated but as far as i can tell aboriginal australia is relatively monocultural compared i'm not saying it's monocultural i'm just saying in comparison to you know we have so many different languages uh per square mile the only place it's like uh new guinea is the highest yeah Yeah. and And it's it's for the same reason yeah it's just impassable mountain you know so you have people along the coast speaking one language and people you know 30 kilometers inland speaking another language um so i i would love to see geological more geologically based stories and i guess that's what really saved it for me and when i see geological i i actually mean ge- geographical you know because i'm not just only talking about the rocks but it it does fundamentally start with a with the rocks right and how they're formed, and then you get shit growing on top of that, and their position on the earth. And she, I think, fundamentally started with that, and then she had this dress idea, or maybe the dress, and then I'll set it there, yep. and then all this other stuff in the plot, and how to get there, and all that stuff, it came into being, and it sort of worked itself out in a, in a role-playing game style, even if it wasn't, it was, yeah, it was, she was LARPing it, right? She wrote it like it was a LARP. In a certain sense, I think. Yeah. And, that, and that's why it feels like that. And it's not bad. It's just you, you have to really know what, what it is to see it like that. Because I was, I, when I started it, I was like, mm, not sure about this book. I don't think so. And then I, I see, okay, I see what she's doing here. And more importantly, when we actually do get to the, the geology. And uh, I liked seeing all those, uh, those sort of silly explanations for how. How uh, everything is goes back to this period of time, but uh, there is one thing we haven't discussed that I I really thought would be way more important, and I was thinking if I was writing this book or part mm-hmm. of the idea of this book, 
and then actually it got addressed. Uh, it just wasn't very well addressed, it, or at least to my satisfaction. If you have a one-way time machine, right? You, yeah. You can send people back in time to a certain period of time. You could send questions back with every person and get answers back by leaving notes in a certain way, right? And I was like, why don't they just like put a basically uh, a storage locker <laughs> on the other side of the gate, you know, sh- shove it through, and then you have these lock boxes with one-time lock, and you have like, I don't know, 100, 100 boxes. And in each of these boxes, you have the potential to, uh, you say, okay, I'm sending them back empty. And then every time I send a person through, I say, I want you to try and find out the answer to this question, like, uh, what color are woolly mammoth's uh, tusks, <laughs> for example? Um, uh, when when they're uh, or you know what does a woolly mammoth sound like? There, there's a good example. You could make a tape, maybe make a recording or something, right? And put it back. And then they put it in the Dropbox uh, locker. Uh, it's a one-time thing, right? And it sits for 50 million years, and then you. Could instantly, as soon as you had asked the, sent the guy through and asked the question, go over to that locker and open it up and see what the answer was, right? So that you could ask another person another question. Now, there's a t- couple of reasons why this doesn't work uh, for this novel. One, they would stop sending people through because <laughs> none of the answers. Well, well, well because they, they mentioned that the Tanu stopped the people from doing stuff like that because the Tanu don't. The pat- there was the t- a whole amber thing that is the explanation. Like they were gonna, uh, the person who was running the gate tried this, um, but it's just sort of passed over. But 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 the, but but the, the implication from the novel is that the Tanu are stopping such efforts because they're so dominating the yeah, society. Because the Tanu need they need the they need the people for breeding purposes. So they need that. I mean. It's 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 mentioned, I think, in one of the Furvalog chapters that there's a balance between the two races until humans showed up, and then the Tanu jumped on that and got into a ascendancy of power because of humans coming through the gate. So they are dependent. Yeah, the plot on doesn't that. allow it. I understand that, and, and the plot doesn't allow but it. I'm but I'm saying the idea but, is a really good one. <laughs> if, yeah, right. If if you found a nice geologically stable area. And you, you could send messages. I mean, I mean, we we see this in at least one of the uh, one or two of the. Uh, it, but it, allow, of it allows for two. Yeah, yeah it, but it allows for two way communication, right? Every time you want to send a, uh, like you could have a conversation over six million years. You could, and there was a whole line somewhere in this book about how two days were lined up for no reason with some particular holiday. I'm what, like. What? I, right, right. I I didn't quite get the days. What was the days? It, it, it was basically Halloween and May Day. Right, right. What right. okay. why, why are they important in human society? Because the Tanu, because right. you see their hand waving at. But I will tell you that in the fourth book, Aiken Drum, because remember he says, oh, give me the plans for the time portal. Mm-hmm. In the fourth book, yeah. he, man- he and uh, another character managed to build a portal back to the present. Okay. So, so 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 that loop is closed, but it's not until the fourth book. Um, if if you recall, in this first book, they talk about a revolt of society that really set up set up uh, problems. Mm-hmm. In the third book, the person who caused that revolt shows up in in the past here, and everything everything you thought you know already goes to pot when he shows up. Hmm. Mark Remillard, yeah, because he decides to start knocking things over here, and so 
she 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 shakes up her premise by having Mark show up and cause all sorts of trouble. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a like a role playing game, like like a role playing game. Villain. Yeah, here, 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 Mark Rebelard, the guy that really knocked over Galactic Society, shows up. Dude, it has a cleric who can heal people. <laughs> it has it has a paladin. It has a. Uh, a hunter, yeah, uh, a pirate, right? They all have these elaborate backstories that they, they've they've uh, ex- you know explained. That we've got a thief, <laughs> like a, he's got lockpicks. Right? <laughs> it really is a role playing game, um, almost. And uh, yeah, I, I just think because she didn't focus on one thing, it's it, it is not elevated to the status of a classic. And I'm not saying she should have done it another way because obviously she did it that way and you can't go back in time and change it. I'm just saying that I think this is why I, I'd i never heard of this book. Um, I mean, there's a lot of books I've never heard of, but I, I'm pretty well versed in science fiction and fantasy. You know, uh, I, I don't say I, I know more than everybody, but for a guy my age, I think I know a lot more than most people because I, I don't have a wife and kids take up my time this is what i do yo (laughs) i read old books so uh yeah it's a pretty good book for for what it is it's amazing to see a mind uh be able to throw all this in there and almost make it all gel together in a in a way that yeah it was pretty good pretty good I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad yeah. that not only I recommended that you enjoyed it as much as you did. It's not typical as if I'm audio reading. No, no, it's not. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I was thinking about so many th- books that uh, she really. Uh, there was a question. Um, uh, Will you know Will Emmons? Who? Uh, yeah, Will Emmons. Yeah. Yeah, he had a question. He, somebody was saying. They didn't like this book and they didn't like that book, but they liked this book and liked liked back that book, and they were looking for for um, recommendations. And like, I normally wouldn't touch it because <laughs> I don't, I don't, unless I have something to say. But I was specifically asked, "What would you recommend?" Yeah, I remember that conversation. Did about. you? Okay, yeah, and. I was, I was, oh yeah, because I think I tagged you because of Heinlein, right? I was like, mm-hmm. you can't go wrong with Heinlein, but yeah, I don't know that I would recommend Neuromancer to uh, people as a first science fiction book because I think it's oh, too. Oh yeah, 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 but, yeah, because someone else also had, with my Twitter also had that sort of thing. Like, what would you recommend as first books? And I also countered with, well, there are plenty of books you wouldn't recommend to a first time reader of science fiction fantasy. There are great, excellent books, but as a first book, never. Yeah. And Neuromancer would be one of them. Yeah, I wouldn't throw Neuromancer at a new science fiction reader. Heck no. So I'll That's a good read, way to get them read to not the read more here. science fiction. Uh, sci-fi re- novel recommendations given that I really like. The Dispossessed and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And not like Foundation. Or Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And then says, I guess uh, this is somebody named Calvin's and Hob- Hobbsbaum. <laughs> Titus Androngonus. Um, anyways, I guess that's sort of hard sci-fi stuff I find tedious. And <laughs> I'm like, that's not... I didn't respond to that thread, but I, I would throw Jack Vance at them. If they like to dispossess, yeah. there's plenty of Vance. Yeah, you know, Vance is not hard enough, and it's got the sociological stuff that I think they're looking for. So, uh, so yeah, to, to throw them into a... 
So I uh, said, throw the demon princes at them. I think they'd like that. I said, uh, I say, do androids dream electric sheep is not anything like hard SF, um, <laughs> and neither is Foundation. And I think somebody might argue that it was, but I don't think Foundation. Oh, so, 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 so somebody was rereading Foundation recently. I think it was my friend Jim Henley. Yes, yeah, like finding a uh, this is not hard science fiction at all. No, so, it's not. Yeah. Foundation is interesting, I said, and foundational, but not great. Um, I think it's important and an interesting book, but I don't think it's a good, uh, good book or, you know, like it's not a fun read. I don't think androids is a great, is great. And one should probably be a connoisseur of SF before reading it. I think that that, if that's your first book, that's also a mistake, right? For, also a connoisseur of Dick. I wouldn't give it as their first Dick either. No, I wouldn't either. Um, and then, uh, Will says, yeah, but what should this person read? And I said, Really hard question. I usually like to think of SF as something you read from earlier to later. Uh, given a sample size of two books liked and two disliked, that said, even with uh, Paul's worries in mind, I would still recommend Heinlein. He's not hard mm, yeah, SF. Really tight, yeah. And he's really SF. Have Space Suit Will Travel is a good starter book. I think most yeah. people would and agree that it's pretty safe. I think that would be, be fine and safe to go with that. <sighs> if you don't like Heinlein, I don't think you really like SF. He was made um, of SF. And yes, I, he was. I, but, yeah. I, look, and then I said, don't start with any random Heinlein, though. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Moon oh, is God. a harsh mistress and Starship Troopers are good choices. They will make you argue with Heinlein, which is what a lot of later writers are doing in their books, arguing with Heinlein. Uh, and then somebody says, read Heinlein's Starship Troopers and Haldeman's Forever War back to back. But do you think Forever War works as a first novel if you haven't read Starship Troopers? Absolutely not. Exactly. Yeah. So, 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 so again, you wouldn't, yeah, you would, I wouldn't go for a word to somebody new. Two very different viewpoints, but Heinlein wrote Haldeman a glowing congratulatory letter when he won it, uh, the Nebula for it. And I said, yes. And I would say in that order, but put another book in there as a palate cleanser. There's a whole series of books that are connected to Starship Troopers, Ender's Game, Armor, going backward to Kipling's poem. Am I? I'm, I'm going to try and make this. Case. Or going forward to Cameron Hurley. Yeah, way so many. Right? Last year she wrote Old Man's War. Tons of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, my point. My point is, uh, when I'm just reading this book, and there's a character who wants to go go back in time and then find the <laughs> find the the utopia that, that's the center of the uh, center of the Earth. Go yes. down a hole. Oh, yeah, right? That, and that, then, that's do you remember? Pseudoscience. Yeah, yes. Well, no, it's not, Paul. I think what it is, it's a callback to science fiction. So, do you remember? Um, I mean, there's a whole uh, terrible series of books that are set under Hollow um, Earth. Yeah, Hollow Earth. But uh, more importantly, do you remember at the beginning of this book? And you should know this too, Evan. Uh, there's a couple of people having sex in a volcano. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and then the book is Stromboli, and Stromboli goes Indeed, off. Indeed, it is Stromboli. Um, which is in Italy, right? Yep. Um, there is a uh, very famous science fiction novel. It's kind of science. Yes, yeah, I would say it's science fiction. It's by Jules Verne, uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, where they go to uh, Iceland uh, after finding a document about somebody who did this already. They go to Stephens Yokel. Yeah, there you go, and a real dude, right? And then they except the book's not real. The, the dude no, no, that's real. the name of the volcano. Snepper is the volcano. Uh, yeah, but the, there's a, 
Icelandic explorers. Anyways, this, this German guy and his nephew go to uh, Iceland. They go in through this hole and then have a whole experience, experience an inner world, and then they co- pop out of <laughs> Stromboli. Etna. No, they pop out, don't they pop out of Etna? I'm pretty sure it's Stromboli. Um, and well, I think, yeah, there's a volcanic it, it, eruption, not- and they shoot straight up into the air, just like sort of almost happens in this one. And she turns it into a, like a little sex scene. But oh, you're right, it is Stromboli. I didn't keep track of the characters that well, uh, like who's who uh, and their names. But it, it might have been the same people who are, you know, the the thing is, is this is all her, right? This is all her ideas and her interests, and she being a a fan of SF, not just a person who likes to put on dresses and go to conventions and hasn't really read any science fiction because at this point uh, when she's, you know, a science fiction fan in the fifties, there's almost, there is almost no visual SF that you could still call yourself a science fiction fan and never have read a single science fiction book. She was reading that stuff. She was well familiar with it. She was deep into it and she's making a callback. I'm pretty sure that, that that is what that was a callback to, mm, but there's okay. lots of other lo- like t- sort of hints of that. And if I was working on a thesis or something, you know, a, for a master's degree or something like that, I would say there's tons of meat in here, and most of it's probably found findable in her own gazetteer of this this universe that she's created. It's very rich. For uh, most of the time, Paul, when you say let's do a sixteen-hour book, I'm like, that's a modern book. It's too long. I don't need to read it. Here, she jams a ton into sixteen hours. A ton. It's really, it's really dense. Even though it doesn't feel that dense. You see what I'm saying? It's like, yep. it's super ambitious and almost pulls it off. Almost pulls it off in a way that you could, like, say. You know, Ringworld is a massive hit in a way that, you know, even I don't think Niven expected. And this oh, no, could have been definitely. could have been like that. And and I think it sort of rides on those coattails in the sense that now people are ready for stuff like that, that big. It, you know, that you've got it, it isn't just more Tolkien. It isn't uh, the Wheel of Time here. This is science fiction ish. And it's dealing with science fiction tropes. So even though it really doesn't classify well as a fantasy, um, you know, what with all the pseudo-scientific explanations for the PK, psychokinetic stuff, and uh, what the seven different things you can do. What is that? How, what are all the things on the crown, the test? Yes. It's like creativity. Yeah, you could create an image. sensing. Right. Uh, communicative telepathy. Right. There's a, a huge number of things. She, she is setting up a magic system that's. Yep. There's creativity, s- coercion, psychokinesis, far setting, redaction, which is healing, propolesis, which is prediction, and dimensional transport. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's like that is a lot to work with. It it almost feels like uh, it was designed to be a game, right? And uh, maybe she didn't know, <laughs> but that it, it, it's coming out of that same tradition. It's really interesting how you can you go back all the way to H.G. Wells when he in, he m- makes basically the first war game, right? And then you wait f- 
what is it, 70 years. And then these war games, are, people are still war gaming. And then Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, I think is his name. Yep, Dave Arneson. From uh, they're like, we like this, this, uh, this tabletop, uh, ARP, not uh, – Tabletop war gaming, but let's if, yeah. let's add some new stuff. We call them heroes, and and it's like all of this stuff develops pretty much out of the same period, so that you get a book like this that is I don't think really connected to actual uh, role playing games of of the Dungeons and Dragons style, but it's it feels like a, one of those things because it's in the it's like in Steam Engine times you build Steam engines. In role playing time, you build role playing games, and by the you know by the mid eighties, they're just everywhere, right? It's just that the, these guys and her, she's a little early. It feels like this book is much later. I know I'm repeating myself, but I, she repeated okay. herself, so I'm allowed. <laughs> <laughs> we're done, I think, right? Yeah, I think we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank for you. Reading, rereading sure. this. I need an excuse to re-rate, read this, and you guys provided it for me. It's fun. It's a fun, yeah. interesting book. I, yeah, I was, I was not into it when Evan said he was four hours in. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have a lot to say, save it for the podcast. But I, I, I love those first four hours or so. I, mm. Yeah. I just, I just thought that Galactic Milieu was kind of cool. Plus, there's the ecology stuff that's only hinted at. Mm. It's another. Like the intervention. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll check out those Galactic Milieuse novels. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sff audio you know he's really he, he's the one who read like every letter of mm-hmm. lovecraft and stuff and he knows everything about him he wrote that massive biography mm-hmm. it's just but when you hear him talk about like lovecraft's race he just totally equivocates on it on race and lovecraft to say oh everyone was racist back then and it's so lazy yeah, yeah, well, yeah and that's where that's where a lot of the dislike for him comes that that's that's sort of the well everyone was and so we don't have to talk about it let's move on yeah i, he doesn't want, I he's understand that look there i, I understand it's there. fucking boring talking about how how he's a racist all the time all the time whenever anybody like first discovers lovecraft the very first thing they're interested in is that he's racist that's like you know discovering that jesus is uh, a, a a thing and then you look into the story and you say, well, you know, he had long hair. <laughs> and like, like obsessing about his hair. Not that Jesus has long hair. We don't fucking know. And that doesn't talk about Jesus's hair, right? But if he, or he was redheaded, right? Like, so, oh, he's redheaded. And that, that, that's very important because we hate redheads or whatever, right? <laughs> the thing is, is it is not interesting to talk about the same thing over and over again. On the other hand, it is absolutely true. It's fundamental to at least a good percentage of his writing. But that's the least interesting part of his story. His really interesting shit is his, uh, his basically cosmology, right? Is that he, he has a relationship to his body 
and to uh, the universe that very few people were thinking about. And that's what his legacy is really of interest. I think like, they're both interesting, uh, honestly. I think they're both really, really interesting. I think he's just a wonderful window into this whole discourse of race at that time when race relations in the U.S. were at their worst. I, I agree that the, that is um, – it's fundamental and it's important because, I mean, so much of his work is – it's like it's about race. On the other mm-hmm. hand – when you're engaging with with people who have not actually read basically any of it, any of it um, and they glom on to the fact that you know Jesus has long hair rather than the fact that he's performing miracles or wh- or whatever it is, it doesn't have to be Jesus. Just pick another uh, or or Nietzsche, right? If <laughs> if you say Nietzsche, <laughs> wow, there was a jump. Jesus and Nietzsche. Well, <laughs> they are important thinkers. Is the idea? Uh, although I would say uh, Nietzsche's a, a thinker, whereas Jesus is a character, right? He's an important character. Like, or, or talking about Spider-Man and only wanting to talk about his aunt, right? Yes, his aunt is very important, and the relationship he has with his aunt is important. Or Uncle Ben. Uh, Uncle Ben. Michael. No, I guess. I guess my position is once you you kind of understand the his his philosophy of society, his social philosophy, and you as soon as you invert it. Mm-hmm there's all these interesting things that you see underneath it because Lovecraft really had this idea that these foreigners, these biracial people, the sailors are all like actually really, really powerful and really, really mighty. I mean, Innsmouth is an interesting city. It's like this industrial city that's been left behind. Mm -hmm. I mean, think of Detroit. Mm -hmm. Innsmouth is basically like Detroit. Yeah. Uh, A previously industrial city, commercial, the center of the economy in a lot of ways. And it just gets left behind. And the people left behind there end up being really, really fucking dangerous. And and, and as soon as you invert that <laughs> and you put that's your only sympathies one reading. with But you, if you put your sympathies with the deep ones or with uh, Castro and the Call mm, of Cthulhu, the, mm. the New Orleans cultists, these guys, you 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 kind of see like Lovecraft had this idea of this kind of global network of working people who actually are in touch with these um, uh, I see why. powers. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, I, I'm really interested in like his view of witches because he, he along because he read that book, mm. the witch cult of Europe, mm-hmm. he thought witches were real. And mm. I kind of do too. I mean, I kind of think that were <laughs> wow. people in the, not that they had magic, but mm-hmm. I think they really were subcultures in Europe. And certainly most of the women who were killed in the witch hunts, it was just a paranoia and all that. But, I, I think there must have been something real there. Kind of well, a that's like a it, resistance. It sounds a lot like, you know, uh, Russian interference. <laughs> we just need yeah. to look at it harder, put them to the, t- the to the test. And then the thing is, is there is something real, right? The, the yeah. Internet Research Agency is a real corporation that has a physical location in a country that's not the USA. And they do go and do stuff online. Did they interfere with the American elections in the same way that I did? <laughs> yeah. Probably about that. that of, oh, my God. My phone's going crazy. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, because it heard about the Russian interference. <laughs> <laughs> when I studied, um, uh, and I still do, I study it all the time because I'm reading those magazines. The, um, uh, the, the second Red Scare, you know, the... Um, I just read a massive interview with the uh, 
the senator. What's his name? Yeah. McCarthy. And the thing is, is he sounds totally reasonable, like in a way that the people today don't. It's really interesting because I did not expect that. I thought he would be frothing at the mouth and um, insane. But his questions, his answers to the questions were like, oh, that's totally reasonable. And at, at, at some point, it, it was reasonable. And then after a certain Well, there were point, a bunch of communists in absolutely. the government. They all came in during the New Deal. Absolutely. Well, fraud and all these communists. And, they and, all and there was a substance there the that there is throughout the, yeah. in, in, a more, in a more current, um, you know, conspiracy theory, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, today, you know, Rachel Maddow, <laughs> she, she did that whole, she did a whole segment. It's, they use it on, um, Jimmy Dore all the time because it's so funny where she's saying how the Russians can turn off the power, um, and freeze Americans in their homes <laughs> because <laughs> theoretically it's possible to hack into a system and they could do it. And that's why they're dangerous. Yeah. Some kid in Ecuador could do it too. And your point is... <laughs> It's like, why, why is speculation a news show, right? <laughs> they're, they're essentially uh, Alex Jones with um, – uh, essentially, it is Alex Jones with um, uh, uh, Ox- – went to Oxford. What's the uh, – uh, the Rhodes Scholars. Yeah, all these Rhodes Scholars, super geniuses, right? Super geniuses from a certain class. <laughs> That went went and uh, studied in in um, Oxford and came back and got their job in in news media and now we need to respect them and like Jesus Christ you're fucking frothing in the mouth over nothing um, that is hilarious and and that's the same sort of hilarity I see in in uh, the Yellow Peril it's just insane nobody cares about it now like it's just not an issue or if they do they think about it in the wrong way they say. Um, well, Jesse, you're 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 seeing it wrong because it was a real issue for those for those yellow people who are being excluded and persecuted for their yellowness. Except they wouldn't say yellow, right? And then I would say, of course, duh, <laughs> right? Of course, duh. But the thing is, is the interesting part is the is how did the, how did this sort of come into the public mind? And the the uh, I was going to say comics. The books actually are reflections and amplifications of what was ac- an actual phenomenon within governments and within populations. And and that is that's the thing about Lovecraft is people. I, I had somebody say uh, to me on Twitter, um, uh, he's wrong because his uh, the ideas he's he's. Um, uh, he believed in were discredited ages ago, right? Before, like in the 19th century. And I'm like, okay, yes, we can, we all know that some ideas are discredited, right? Uh, or in the sense that we don't think they should go through, like eugenics, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really terrible one. Super terrible. You don't want to do eugenics. But the thing is, is they didn't know that. Not in the way we do, because we see the horrible legacy of what that does. We can see it super clearly. They're living in it. And at the time in Canada, when we we're sending a whole bunch of Native kids to residential school, there were people who knew it was a bad idea. And there was lots of people who thought it was a good idea. 
and the policy of kill the Indian in the child to save the kid was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And, and it has a fucking horrible legacy that we're living with today. And there's lots of assholes in government, like uh, the guy who has tattoos of native stuff on his arm and loves spending time uh, uh, with natives and also doesn't care what the fuck they are doing, like trying to block pipelines, because he just doesn't really care. It, it, it's not, you know, he's just a politician. So uh, it's, it's really interesting to look at, but you have to be careful not to... Spend all your time thinking and talking about that when Lovecraft is not just racism. <laughs> That's not all that's going on. He has tons of stuff. He is like a huge thinker in a way, uh, you know, like Philip K. Dick is, but for yeah. totally different topics. Yes, but for a lot of readers, especially reader, minority readers, it that it's the... It's the million pound elephant in the room. It's hard to get past Jesse. And they you have need to understand. To get pa- they need to, of course, uh, but they need to get past it. If they're going to spend any time thinking about it. We're three white dudes, so we. we no, cut, see, you just, you just a, threw me into the same batch that you, you think I, you're in. I don't identify as white. I never have. I don't identify in that way. I'll, my mom's Jewish. I'm Jewish in a certain sense. I'm not religiously practicing and more importantly i my, actually didn't know that till now and uh, well because i don't i don't practice right but my 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 grandma's jewish my grandfather had a jewish funeral and they weren't religious either but they're still jewish and hitler well, would have loved to put us in the ovens right and and more I importantly i'm not being entirely clear here jesse though ah. it's like like focusing on Lovecraft's race is not that I'm just obsessed with like discrediting him, like how some people do with. Bonner. No, no, I know, I know that. He's an anti-Semite, so you reject him. I just sent you one of my favorite books, and this is kind of theoretically important for what I'm trying to say. Here, Cultures of Darkness. This is a great book, actually. I don't know why it got yeah, so reviewed. Yeah, I think you mentioned this before. On Amazon, but it, I'll just read the yeah, blurb. Terrible here. review. Peasants, religious heretics, witches, pirates, runaway slaves, prostitutes, and pornographers, frequenters of taverns and fraternal society lodge rooms, revolutionaries, blues and jazz musicians, beats and contemporary youth gangs, those who defied authority, choosing to live outside the defining cultural domin- dominions of early insurgent and later dominant capitalism, are what Brian D. Palmer calls people of the night. These people are opposition or, or otherness. They were seen by the powerful as deviant, rejecting authority, and consequently threatening to the established order. I, I think this is a perfect summation of like Lovecraft's villains. They're these types of people. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, and, and, and their 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 power is in their otherness, in a way, and in their counterculturalism. I, and I, I, Lovecraft's I, terrified I, of that. Uh, well, and, is he though? See, the thing is, is there there there's this is the there's this great book um it is called uh, the insidious dr fu manchu there's another title for it right yeah um i love this book and the reason i love it is cuz it's so weird and funny because if you look at it today and you read it with m- my mind who's basically really into this shit um you realize that the white people are the bad guys um, and that uh, Dr. Fu Manchu is actually the hero. <laughs> he's defeated yeah. continuously, but he's the hero because he is, uh, by their own admission, he's a super genius who's trying to, you know, raise um, 
raise up a, a group of people who are oppressed, the the yellows of Asia, right? And and he's he's uh, he he embodies qualities that the the imperialist uh, English are afraid of, which is you know th- that really the Asians are superior to us, right? And that the, the, not only they're superior in mind, as evidenced by this great genius villain, right? But more importantly, they're superior in, in, in almost every way. They're superior in um, perhaps not physical brawniness, right? And this is something you get in, in not just Lovecraft, but more importantly in Howard, right? In Howard, the physical uh, musculature and, you know, he would – Howard would really probably be very interested in, in uh, like how there's a lot of black people in basketball and in football, and eventually in baseball, which you didn't see at the time when he was alive. The way you saw well, black people was in I boxing. I letters with Lovecraft. They talk about this stuff. They don't have a basketball. They do talk about sports a little yes, bit. Yes, yes. And they, and he, like Howard, I, I still think it's really, because Howard's a racist too, but absolutely, he actually lives on the frontier and he lives around black people. Yes, and, and he likes kind black of, people, even though he's yeah. racist. And... Those are some of the most interesting conversations he has about, like, like the black frontiersmen and all that. So. Yeah, in fact, yeah. And he does talk Lovecraft about sports, doesn't know. I don't know if he talks about black people in sports. Lovecraft though, doesn't know colored people yeah. very much, right? He, most of the people he knows are like him. Um, yeah. and, and so when he does, like, he goes to, at one point he goes to a play that uh, stars all black characters, and he thought it was really interesting, right? The thing is, is his racism... Um, is is totally baked into who he is and the culture he's from, and he uh, what he's doing is intellectually engaging with everything, and the only things that he doesn't really really engage with are sexuality and um, sort of very grounded meaty like he doesn't talk about food a lot, you know, some uh, some uh, like H G Wells talks about food quite a bit. And uh, I did a whole show on food with Eric that is like – it's weird that you think food food isn't shouldn't be a topic for science fiction. It's really interesting. But, uh, you know, even though Lovecraft uh, liked ice cream <laughs> – There's a whole podcast called, that I'm affiliated with called Cooking the Books that talks about food and science fiction and fantasy, Jesse. Well, I didn't know you were doing a podcast about that. But well, on the, uh, well, well, I haven't been on that. I, I'm kind of like associated with it. Okay. Well, in any case, I'm just saying, like, you know, cooking recipes from books, uh, and there's a lot in this one. We might get to it at some point. <laughs> we actually, we actually uh, should actually do the podcast at some point. Yeah, yeah, we should probably do that. I just want to say that, um, you know, when you're, you're calling villains, right, I, I think it's very easy to flip the script. Um, not in his dream stuff. Well, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, so, so you like, gotta read my article. My article is called "In Praise of the Insmoke Look." I'm actually siding with the deep ones. But I think Lovecraft yeah. is too. <laughs> that's my point. I don't think so. That I, I think he is. Uh, Mr. Jim Moon. Well, Mr. Jim Moon makes a very interesting case for the ending of the uh, Shadow Over Insmoke. And um, and we uh, we've talked about it, you know. With uh, he made a very interesting case in um, Reanimator as well about yeah. about how it, it it's very obvious that Lovecraft is obsessed with race in a way that um, mm-hmm. you know that 
uh, other writers later are not. But that's because he's intellectually engaging with a very real and very prominent phenomenon that is happening in that period. Um, it, it'd be like engaging with um, the idea of uh, talking about homosexuality in the 70s, right? Yeah. Um, it's actually totally wrong to say like racism was like these racial ideas were discredited in the 19th absolutely century. There were egal- racial egalitarians not. in the 19th century. You have John Brown, of course. We're still, but, we still have like, yeah. yeah. The Go heyday of scientific racism is like the 1930s and 40s. Exactly. And, yeah. and he was, he was anticipating, he was seeing the rise of it. He was dealing with it. And he was, to- he was totally buying into it in a way that he shouldn't have. But guess what? We're all fucking human and we live in a, an environment. And until you have uh, walked a mile in everybody's shoes, you know, it's hard to judge them in the same way. So people just, yeah. they obsess on it because. I'm not saying you're obsessing. I'm saying a yeah, lot of people. I'm not doing it to discredit him or to, you know, to, to get rid of his st- statuette from all the awards or something, whatever it is. <laughs> um, yeah. But I just think it can't be like, yeah, I guess Josie's probably the worst at doing this of just trying to. He's not know, interested in talking away. about it. And and I understand, <laughs> I understand that because honestly, if you, if you, if you, if I, send something out every once in a while, you know, just, you know, wow, this is a great story, blah, 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 right? Somebody says, oh, he was racist. It's like, um, well, yeah, dude, that's not the most, it's like, yeah. why are you talking about Jesus's hair again? Yeah, but, but, but as far as Josie, I think there's a difference between not talking about something going, la, 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 which is what Josie does. I don't think so. I think he thinks he, I think he dealt with it. I think he dealt with it. Well, he dealt it in a very, superficial way like well, I, two, but you know he's also of, not that deep right have you noticed like joshi's readings of of lovecraft's like his notes are not very deep at all they're basically superficial he makes comparisons between stories he points to things in lovecraft's own life a lot of it is just about timing like this happened first and then uh, he was inspired by this like the the notes are not like they're not like uh, Mr. Jim Moon's, you know, readings. Uh, they're they're not deep. They're shallow. They're very much about time and place. And he he's like um, he's honestly he's kind of boring, right? So the yeah. fact that he you know he doesn't engage with with something as deeply as Lovecraft is, you know, really he's really into that meat. Um, and when when. It, it always strikes me, like, when people talk about their favorite story, they always say, almost universally, everybody's favorite story is The Color Out of Space. It's an okay story, but it's not that interesting, I don't think. I think it's kind of boring. And it's a bit I about... I noticed something that kind of about, about food. This. Like, the people who... Like, I think Josie's one of these, who doesn't want to face this this deep racial discourse in Lovecraft... Will will throw the street out and say this is his worst story because mm. it's maybe the most obviously racist mm. um, story. And I don't think that's the worst story he wrote by far. I think it's actually kind of fascinating for me. But that's the that's like the the scapegoat story. You say, I, well, I this is his worst story. And by doing that, by acknowledging the story is horrible, I I can move on and and, and ignore race and his other stories. And this is exactly what Josie does with the street. Yeah, I'm saying it, it's it's by saying it's trash. What winter tide? Yes, 
Is this? Oh. It's it's Neil Lovecraft written by uh, Ruthanna Emery. It's about a survivor of the Innsmouth raid. There's been some like the what's the the one that does Red Hook from the perspective of of the villain. Oh yeah, Victor Laval. Yeah. And then the there's Black uh, Tom. Yeah. And then there's Lovecraft Country, which I haven't finished. Oh, oh, That's going to oh, be yeah, a the, HBO oh, show, isn't it? It's going to be, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be. Oh yeah, well yeah, Lovecraft Country is also very good. Yeah. Did you but, read uh, Providence, the uh, comic book? I looked at them. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't read them all systematically, but you recommended them, and I. I, I find I it. I find it really. Uh, he really does. That's uh, you know, mm-hmm. he he totally engages. That's what all he does. He says. Oh, you know, the Invisible Man? Yeah, H.G. Wells was very, very kind. He made it a comedy. That's not what the guy's like, right? And if you look at it closely, you have to agree. Alan Moore reads it very closely. Uh, yeah, he's, he's fucking horrible. And that's the whole point of the Ring of Gaiji story. It's all about, you know, the p- dangers of, of power, right? And, and so when he brings that character into the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, right, the... the he brings that those deep thoughts. It's not just like uh, it's not fan service. It's not just like oh, I remember. It's not a member berries thing, right? It's it's yeah. it's a very um, ooh, right? And uh, so when he does, Providence doesn't make a lot of sense as a as a whole work. But if when you see what he's doing in relation to each individual story, it's like totally he's engaging with it. And I agree, I, I don't I, think. I, I, Go for it. Yeah. I, I think that Providence is less than the sum of its parts. Its parts are interesting as he engages the story, but the yeah. overall thing doesn't quite. No, no, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense as a as a, a large work. But individual stories uh mm-hmm. are engaging with other individual stories and it's basically it's it's like it's like Alan Moore's essay on what he thinks is going on really in these stories, and that's why they're so. Does he do Hyde? Does he do Doctor Jekyll? Because uh, yeah, I'm yeah. This from from Dance Macabre because that's in King, uh, League of. King had a really Gentleman. one of his best readings actually in that book. Dance Macabre is on um is on Hyde, Doctor Jekyll. Mm-hmm. You know this this deep desire to kind of live this other life, to live mm-hmm. this life of freedom, mm-hmm. which. But you get back to Cthulhu and Castro. I mean, I think that's like one of the most powerful lines in that story is where Castro is being interrogated and he says, like, this cult gives me freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. Cthulhu promises me, earthly freedom. You promise, like, you give us, maybe this is your argument that, that Lovecraft see these guys as maybe the good guys. Yes. Because he says something like, like, basically, in your world, I'm just going to be a shit upon mulatto. You know, living in the jungle somewhere, or the swamp, or a slave, or some you know, some shitty life like this, or sharecropper. But Cthulhu says you can have like freedom in this world, and I, I that's a, that that quote, he like, really goes, goes is thinking away. about yeah. what his characters are thinking about, and then he doesn't tell you what they're thinking about; he shows it right. So the 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 if you if you read the the Innsmouth story, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth. And then you look at that ending really closely, and then you go back and look at the beginning really closely. What you find is he wants this. He's afraid of it. He wants it, yeah. and he's afraid of it. And so it's like a story of regret and a story of, like, uh, it, it's really, really deep in a way that, you know, it, it feels like it's just a shallow 
<laughs> using all these water metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it feels like a, it's a, uh, like a, a whole, consp- like if you play the Call of Cthulhu game, um, there is no, you don't ever like want to join the, the, the bad guys, right? It's always fighting against the unspeakable horror, but really Lovecraft wants, wants his characters like uh, a, a great story. I love it so much. I think about it all the time now, not, last couple of years, actually. Um, the festival. Did you, have you read that? Yeah, one? that's a good one. That's, that's, that's key to my interpretation too. So, my so interesting. Lovecraft still has, he has no, he still has to nuke the town at the end of Innsmouth. He does nuke the town, and then there's this realization, right, that he is one of these people, that he, he's basically betrayed his own people, and that it was wrong, but it's okay because he, as Mr. Jim Moon points out, uh, he gets to live, uh, he's going to go down to the ocean side and go live forever under the sea with the rest of his surviving family. And that's like, Wow. So it, it's it's totally in there. It's. I mean, still. I mean, if you like do a total like like you don't do historic historicist reading at all, and you totally ignore the letters, I, I I'm with you in a way. I think we can read these stories that way. Mm-hmm. I'm still not going to buy that Lovecraft did not like his real life politics were build a wall. <laughs> um, he seems and, he seems to have done that, right? Unless, he, and I mean, like if you if you do a kind of like a whole like new criticism kind of reading, where you just just the reader and the text, yeah, you can get there. I don't. Uh, I just think that, that requires ignoring everything he wrote in his letters. Yeah, people people don't really understand themselves, right? You know, you ask me why I, I did something. I'll probably give you an answer, but it probably won't be a good one. Because that's true. Yeah, because because we we, we don't have complete knowledge of our the internal workings of we our own have mind. Very little access to that. And it, the best humans way, are not rational creatures. We're 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 remote. We're we're remote. We're, we're story based, impulsive, contradictory, self denying, self uh, self lying to ourselves mm-hmm. all the time. So, for example, I was thinking, ah, I see why Paul wanted us to read this book. It's because he's he's getting back into Catholicism. (laughs) (laughs) No, if I if I wanted to get back into Catholicism, I have to I would have to rent Hyperion, maybe. I've I already read Hyperion. (laughs) But the but the thing is is um, during this week. While thinking about this book, and we will get to this book very soon, I hope. I hope so. Uh, um, I sent it to Scott, and I said, I think this would be a good book for you and Julie. And I I think about it for a couple of reasons, but one of them, you know, they do a show that's all about um, finding Catholicism and, or what do they say, the one truth below all the reality, I don't know. They have a little line that's about how it's two Catholic friends talking about movies and books, right? I think this one would serve their interests well if they haven't read it before because there's stuff in it that is very Catholic um, and not just like the nun. <laughs> no, no, no. There's the whole idea of like 
salvation. And Save justice. it for the podcast, Paul. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll keep talking about everything else but the book. That's why oh. we're going to start. All right. We can go with the book. You ready? So were you recording all that? You should, you should I, save I did oh. keep so – I've got half an hour, so. Yeah, we'll, we'll shove that at the end or something. It's fun stuff. Right. Very fun. All right, you ready? Sure. Yes. Okay, I'm going to just type in the Wikipedia entry for Many Colored Land. Wikipedia, Many Colored Land. And yes. I did... The saga, the Pliocene Exile entry is pretty good, too. Okay. Out of the background. Um, I have one other thing. Yeah, it's nice and detailed. Although there the, we go. It's Here we go. The, the, the editors complained. I think it's too much or something. All right. It's here a we go. complicated universe. So the, the this article has multiple me. issues. It needs <laughs> citations. Rely. Okay. Here we you go. Complaining. Some amount of intricate detail. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Also a supporter of SFF's audio Patreon on patreon.com slash SFF audio. <laughs> Thank you. That was unsolicited. Thank you, Paul. Hi, I'm Evan. <laughs> We're I didn't talk. know SF Audio had a Patreon. Well, we now just, you know. We just talked about it last week because my.